Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Florida Prospect Report. I'm your host, Bailey, with my co-host, Eric. And this week, we'll be discussing the MLB draft as well as amateur prospects. We are very excited for our first guest, special guest, Will Hafer. He is a Prospects Live scout and writer. Will, thank you, for, thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah, thank you for having me, Bailey. Thank you for having me, Eric. Uh, pretty excited. Uh, let's get right into it. What do you got for me? Absolutely. Really excited to have you on. And so the first question, let's start with the top of the draft. What kind of impression does a player have to make on you to be considered for the 1-1 one, one pick? Um, I think for a player to be 1-1, one, one, um, I typically approach it from a kind of a logical perspective. Um, uh, you go through it tool by tool and, and you put together the entire package for a prep. I think you're looking for the tools that um, – if, if this particular player hits their ceiling, they're a superstar um, to mitigate, you know, the high level risk that comes with, you know, matriculating up a system from, you know, the age of 17 or 18 um, college players and, and JUCOs to an extent as well. There's less risk involved. So the tools don't have to be nearly as high, but you're also looking for, you know, performance, um, particularly related to 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 the rest of, of their demographics like younger is better obviously um so like for this upcoming one if somebody's born you know in june july august of 20 of 2001 you know they'll they'll be younger for for the class relative to their peers so that obviously helps as well but it's it, same as, as as the prep you're looking for the tools that kind of like give you that all-star you know outlook on a player and you're and you're more confident about them hitting that that particular level. Um, but a, another thing um, I kind of wanted to touch on in that, in that thought process is I think um, demographics are important. Um, you know, there's, there's a very limited history of, of, of prep arms going 1-1 due to the, you know, crazy amount of risk that's involved with any pitching prospect. And then you factor in, you know, a, a younger developing arm that, you know, can show like, you know, a, you know, that you're projecting on, there is a significant injury risk there as well. Um, but you don't want to get tied up into what's happened in the past. Uh, you don't want to get tied up what's happened in the past entirely relative to what you're seeing in front of you right now. You know, I don't think anybody would have said, you know, that there would ever be, you know, a right-handed hitting first baseman that would get drafted 1-1 but Spencer Torkelson's bat was so enormously loud at the college level that it was just like, oh, I guess this is the guy. So precedents are important, but don't let them kind of shape, you know, don't let them make that permanent impression. Keep them in mind, but, you know, always be willing to think outside the box a bit. So I, I think that's kind of the one-one conversation, the things I look for. Will, when you and I met, it was the perfect game showcase in uh jupiter florida yes and that kind of it was my first time there and it really seemed to me to be like kind of like an offensive practice with some moderately skilled but not fully developed uh pitchers offering some stuff mm -hmm. so more more of a hitters showcase like when you make your evaluations how does the cape experience kind of stack up to that is it an offensive showcase and 
really describe it for what the Cape is like compared to Jupiter and I guess overall? Um, I'll first start off by saying that, that I was in your boat as well. That was my first time ever being to a high school showcase event. So it was all very new to me. It was really my first time ever getting out in front and, and, and looking at, you know, high school players, you know, as a whole demographic and, and, and watching games at that level. It was a, it was a, it was a revelatory experience. Um, you know, the, the one thing I found very similar between the Cape and, and that showcase event is that you're giving these kids wood bats. Um, obviously, you know, for, for their, their spring seasons, whether it's at the, the high school level or, or at the college level, with some sparing exceptions, um, they're generally going to have aluminum bats. So seeing if these hitters can, you know, drive the ball with wood bats, that's a big like plus um, if, if, if you see that as a demonstrated ability. Um, comparatively speaking though, the, the, the talent level and particularly the refinement is vastly different, especially on the defensive side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I might remark to you when we're watching this, Eric, but as long as like, in a lot of instances, if you put the ball on the ground, good things will happen at, 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 at a showcase event at the prep level. In college, that's a, that's true to an extent as well, but the the strength and physicality of the players, you know, are obviously going to lend itself, you know, on the college side to being able to record more outs on balls in play, especially ones on the ground. But the high school level, you, uh, at, those, at that showcase, it seemed like if you put the ball, you know, on the left side of the infield, you had a very good chance of getting on base. Um, and a, another noticeable thing about these showcase events that are that's similar is that the strike zones are going to be very wide to move games along. These are developing arms, um, you know, different levels, but, you know, command isn't going to be pinpoint. So uh, wide strike zones. So you'll see hitters be a little bit more aggressive, uh, knowing that, you know, they may only get one really good pitch to drive in and, and at bat. Um, and they might not be able to just kind of like, you know, take four pitches like they would, you know, in, in a more rigid environment, you know, where like in a conference environment where the zones might be smaller. Um, uh, for Worlds, I was really focused on pitching. Um, okay. kind of a one-man crew. I wanted to make sure that um, given – the limited amount of times I would be able to see bats if I wanted to see mini um, pitchers might just pitch once. Um, and often cases they will just throw once in, in a showcase event, uh, maybe twice if they make it deeper into pool play or well, more specifically tournament play outside of pool play. Um, so I was really honed in on pitching. So that's where my focus was and hitting was just kind of, you know, ancillary and viewing it as well. I mean, I obviously had, you know, you know, Philly scout team, Canes national uh, breakthrough Cincinnati scout team. Those those teams were circled for, for their, for their talent on the offensive side of things. And I wanted to see them multiple times, but it was mostly trying to, to, to get looks at those pitchers. Um, So it is a showcase for the hitters to, to show their physicality and their ability to kind of drive the ball with a wood bat. Um, and with pitchers, you know, it's a, it's an event to collect, you know, all sorts of, of data. That, that's a huge part of this of, of this process now. Um, it, it's always kind of been around the past, you know, um, five or so years, but 
you'll definitely there's a lot more scouts that are gonna they're gonna peek over the track manion and say uh what was the ivb on that one or yep. you know, where you know what's a what, what's the spin rate on that breaker like there scouting is all about been collecting data whether it's qualitative or quantitative and now there's just more quantitative data at, at the fingertips if you if you go out and look for it um and uh, was there was there anything else you want to ask me about this, Eric? I, I feel like I'm kind of you know going no, but to, inside to, baseball. No, 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 no. But to follow up on that, what you just said now, quantitative. There's so much we could just look at the people that were keeping score and say what was that spin rate. They could turn around and tell us 3,300 or something like that in a second. Just just overall, like. I know you're younger than me, but like in terms of scouting and evaluating players, do you like the immense amount of quantitative data? And do uh, you think I like it? Um, um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm generally a big fan of just like I'm, I'm always out seeking information, um, regardless regardless of, of you know where it comes from on players. But you, you do have to be smart about it. You do have to understand the limitations. You have to understand how to apply it to, to um, come to reasonable conclusions about a player's skill level and how they may project. Um, you know, not, not, every, not every, you know, 90 miles per hour is, is created equal at, at the age of 17 or 18. There might be a kid, you know, going max effort, you know, touching 90. And there might be, you know, a six foot five, 200 pound kid, you know, just kind of touching and not really put a whole lot of effort behind it. So there's, that's just a general scouting example of right. ability, but you, you always have to understand the limitations of what you're seeing um, and, and understand how to apply the information that you're, that you're processing at any given time. Um, the one of the big shifts um, on <laughs> at, uh, in the past, on the Cape this year and, and really at, at, uh, at Worlds um, was just the amount of edutronic units um, and, you know, high-speed cameras that people would just bring over and set up. It's not like these were, you know, like locked down, like beforehand. No, it'd just be a scout coming over, dropping off their edutronic unit and collecting data. You know, I can think back to, you know, when I interned on the Cape, you know, five years prior, you had maybe one or two scouts leaning over and asking for the spin rate on the breaking ball. And now you have scouts that are bringing over, you know, thousands of dollars in, in, in high tech equipment, you know, high speed camera equipment. It, it's just, a, it, it's, it's constantly evolving. Um, so, and, and it's just all, you can collect some, you, there's more and more data, you know, that in this point than at any point prior, um, you know, a, of scouting so and and more importantly the ability to collect it you know um at an affordable level and at a portable level has never been higher for sure yeah the uh available data in baseball today is just really intriguing i think in general it makes it a better game having all of that data available for use and whatnot yeah and um speaking of which for uh, like for the jupiter tournament so we saw a lot of, you know, high school talent at that tournament and, of course, at other tournaments as well. And I was just curious of who is the best overall high schooler in this upcoming draft class and how did you come to that conclusion? Um, 
I mean, the short, unsatisfying answer is that I haven't come to that conclusion <laughs> yet because of uh, of how little I've seen of, uh, of 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 the prep bats are at the top of this class. Um, I saw Termar a couple times. I saw Drew a couple times, but Elijah wasn't at Worlds, so I haven't seen him in person yet. Um, I will say that as as a team, um, we've had Drew Jones at the top of our board amongst those prep bats. Mm-hmm. And after seeing him in person, I felt kind of emboldened in, in that stance amongst our group. Um, it's, you know, you have it, you have extremes like, you know, like Drew's not the best and he's not the best hitter. He's not the best athlete, but he's the best combination of both and brings that high defensive forward to the table. You know, Tamara's got the bat, but there's questions about if he's going to play up the middle at short. Uh, you've got Elijah who's, you know, just, off the charts athletic might be, you know, the greatest athlete that, you know, has been, you know, in the draft in, in the past decade. Um, but there's, you know, swing and miss concerns. Drew, I think is the, is just, you know, dripping with projection off his frame. Um, the, the hit tool is, it, it is, it is not as good as Termar's, but he gets back to the ball. Um, you know, the barrel, he, find, he finds the barrel, you know, it's, it's a work in progress, but it's becoming easier for him the more and more uh, reps he gets. He's, all, he's been a high-level performer at, at all these showcase events. And, you know, he's not an Elijah Green-level athlete, but we're still talking about a 70 or 80-grade athlete amongst these preps. Um, just, you know, blazing fast speed. Um, incredibly rangy defensively in center field. His reputation has preceded him, you know, for, for years in that regard. And, you know, you can't discount the bloodlines with him, you know, being the son of possibly the greatest defensive center fielder of all time is, is going to, you know, set expectations very high for what you can do. And for him to, you know, kind of be universally considered at that level is speaks very highly of, of what others have seen and, and, emboldens me in believing uh that height even if i didn't really get to see him have many opportunities at jupiter to, to show off his glove i guess for 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 me i did uh bailey and i we did see tamar win a game with a, a clutch i guess a opposite yeah. field knock and it wasn't perfect but it took some skill and it was a relatively difficult at bat he came through he drove in the run if I had to say which high school guy I would take number one, if I was the Orioles, I'm like today, I expect my mind to change, but I'm inclined to, to choose tomorrow, but you are the draft guest and the draft expert. You also <laughs> unintentionally like kind of convinced me to think otherwise. So. Well, here's what I'll say about tomorrow real quick. Um, go ahead. Uh, that was that was against East Cobb. Um, right. I had to split from that game to go catch. Um, oh God, it was some pitcher. It's it, it's a blur because there's like a gajillion games happening every day there. Um, but he had a good game there and 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 a good game against um, NEB National, which was the other game I saw him yep. um, going up against Dakota Stone. Um, He's gonna he's gonna be pitching at Jacksonville in all likelihood next year, and is you know a very physical and you know polished you know pitching prospect for for the prep level. Um, 
the the thing that that Termar showcased to me um, was just an incredible ability to cover the plate, uh, particularly in 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 disadvantageous counts. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, at that showcase level with zones that wide, you and 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 particularly, you know, like I said, putting the ball on the ground, good things will happen. You'll see these hitters really open up their zone, just try to put the ball in play. And Termar really could like, you know, I, I didn't feel like there was a pitch you could throw laterally to get him out with right. two strikes. I uh, totally agree. To throw the bat at the ball and, and go and play and he's hustling down the line. Um, additionally, a thing working in his favor that, that, that I was impressed with, I thought he looked pretty good at shortstop. Um, I think the actions were smooth. Uh, I like the arm utility. I think he handles himself well around the bag. Um, it is you're obviously concerned about the about the frame and, and how that body's going to develop over over a few years but um you know it it definitely kind of you know made me question is this guy really a lot to end up at second base or is there is there a or is there a fine chance that you know even as the body develops he could stick at, at, at short um so it wasn't like Termar showed up and hit you know pull side bombs like he did at uh, all american and then home run derby you know, it's just right. wasn't going to happen, especially, you know, with wood bats in, in those ballparks. It was rare to see guys take to, to see guys go out and it was noteworthy when they did. Um, but, you know, he did show some stuff. So, you know, I, I like Termar a lot. I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if, if he's the first prep bat off the board. And I wouldn't be surprised if Elijah was, you know, so. Don't, don't, don't second guess yourself is what I'd say, Eric. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm, I'm certainly not. But that's not who you mentioned when you said who you thought the first pick would be. And I guess you're the draft expert. The Orioles have the first pick. So tell the Orioles fans who you believe very strongly to be on track to be picked 1-1. Well, yeah, uh, it's uh, – it's, it, since we're um, talking 1-1, uh, it is a college bat. Um, I saw him three times during the Cape, um, each time did something else like that, that, that just caught my eye in a way that players, his build don't normally catch your eye. And that's Chase DeLauder. He's an outfielder. And in my mind, a center fielder for James Madison university, he'll be uh, eligible in the 2022 draft, um, put up ridiculous numbers as a, as both. I think he was a, I think he was a COVID freshman this year. Right. Um, I don't know um, how much he played, how much, how much he played in the 2020 in, in that short season. And, and James Madison didn't play their whole, you know, buffet of games um, in 2021 due to COVID concerns as well. Um, but really video game numbers he's, he put up in, in colonial uh, play, colonial athletic association, CAA play for, for James Madison. Uh, he ended up, um, playing for Orleans for Kelly Nicholson, you know, you know, you could, you could, you could ask, you know, a thousand people that have been on the Cape, you wouldn't get a single bad word about Kelly, you know, very highly respected uh, manager and coach on the Cape, kind of a legend <laughs> um, at Orleans. Um, so, so playing, you know, for Kelly Nicholson at Orleans uh, got to a little bit of a slow start, but once he got going, it was just, you know, a, Okay. Uh, 
but so once he started, once he got going at Orleans, um, it was a sight to behold. Um, wow. It it got to the point where I was looking down at my sheet and it was just like, this guy's just got, might have 60s across the board. Um, you know, I, I spent a lot of time on the cave talking with Jeff Ponce, um, previously of Prospects Live, now at Baseball America. And, we're, and he was working for Perfect Game uh, as, as, um, as a cape, uh, covering the cape for them. And he, he and I kind of um, like, had had a pleasant disagreement about what exactly the tools were with chase he saw him as a 55 hit 70 power i saw him as a 60 hit 60 power and we're talking about a guy that's six four two four you don't see guys with this level of bat to ball skills at that size and also just you know drilling the ball over the park it's and rare. being able to move in center field yes yes and being able to move in center field thank you that's that's the that's the other point um, he actually started off that summer in right field for Orleans, um, and Orleans had a, um, a guy from, from Southern Cal, I believe, Ryland Thomas playing up the middle in center field. Ryland got hurt. Chase got moved over in the first game I saw him. Eighth inning comes up. He gets a, is, it's runner on first. He gets a single, you know, shaded towards, you know, the right center field gap winds up drills you know you know uh, just hammers a throw you know one hop to third base gets him out by a couple steps to preserve a one run lead and that was just kind of like whoa Mm. this guy might be a center fielder and with future looks like obviously you're not going to have you know the like you know twitch of you know a guy that's 6'2 185 or you know 6'3 190 but there's good twitch out there great closing speed um I know um he was sub six five for his sixty um, at his scout day this past uh, fall at James Madison. So, you know, we're talking about a guy that could potentially be a sixty a sixty runner. Um, and like I said, he's got a good chance to stick in center field. And if he's a center fielder, it's hard for me to imagine with his you know unicorn skills as as a as a as a bat to ball guy with power. Um, it's hard for me to imagine him going behind Brooks Lee. And if that's the case, he's got to be the front runner for one one right now. Um, just given the question marks with with the prep bats right now, there hasn't been one that's you know surged up and been like you know this bona fide one one candidate. And that's obviously going to be a, a volatile conversation anyway. Um, there's been many a guy that's been you know a one one lock for the prep ranks that you know spring happens, a guy you know really you know takes a step forward at the college level and just surges in front. Uh, the big thing for Chase this spring is going to be, you know, showing that he can play center field. I think that's the big thing that moves him, you know, ahead of Brooks Lee, who's a great player in his own right. Um, if he can prove that he can play center field and Brooks Lee, you know, brings up more questions about his ability to stick at shortstop, it's like I said, it's hard for me to imagine Chase falling behind him. And so, yeah, that's, that's who I would be looking for. And, Obviously, our conversation um, um, at Worlds, Eric, we were talking about the the recent trend of Michael Elias drafting at the top of his board and not only targeting college bats, but in recent years targeting underslot college bats in the outfield. Yep. Um, we have, you know, Hesse Kerstad going, you know, a few picks higher than I think people expect in 2020. Colton Cowles are going uh 
maybe five to 10 picks higher than people might've expected um, at, at five overall last year. I mean, this past year, um, you know, and, and, follow, and building off of that, I think, you know, second round of this year was Hus, Hus, the Hudson Haskin from Tulane, another college, yep. another mid-major college outfielder. Um, it does seem like that, that Mike likes his college bats and he's been piling up some college outfielders. Um, and, you know, there's ways you can look at that. Like it might be a log jam or they might just feel very confident in how they scout college outfielders. And, you know, at, 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 you know, when you have that, that level of draft pool, you go after best player available more often than not. So it, it does seem like there's a lot of things lining up that would lead towards Delauder being the one, one guy for, for, for Baltimore at this stage, but things can obviously change. You got a long way to go until, you know, draft day. And now well, July. that was a great answer. That was the exact <laughs> answer I was looking for. <laughs> Absolutely. That was a really in, intriguing and insight, insightful uh, perspective. And it feels like this year there's, you know, as of right now, there's no like Adley or Torkelson where it's like the clear one, one guy. It feels almost more like last year where like, you know, there's a lot of people saying Marcelo Meyer was the best guy. I think he was, but he didn't go one, one, mm -hmm. but you know, 2019, everyone, you know, it seemed like Adley was unanimous. So as of right now, it feels like for the 2022 draft, there's not that one guy yet who is unanimous 1-1. One, one. And you think you kind of hit on it with Marcelo. Um, it's not always about who's the best overall player at 1-1 one, one or at 1-2 one, or 1-3 or whatever pick there is. It's not always about who is the best player. It's about who the team likes the most and how they can fit them in with the remainder of their picks to amass the largest pool of talent. Uh, for, right. for, for the draft pool money that they have. And I don't think anybody would argue with taking Heston Kerstad at two if it meant that they freed up the money to get Kobe Mayo in the fourth round. Absolutely. Nobody would complain about that right now. Definitely not me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that move the second they did. I, I've, I've been following Kobe because he's from the same area as me. And, uh, I remember the night he got drafted, I was like, Okay, that's why they took Kerstad in the first round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so maybe talking about towards the other end of the draft instead of the front, maybe towards the back, who are some players who you think show a great deal of potential and promise, but maybe that their hype has not met the potential yet? Well, I'll always lean to the, to, to the Cape guys that I saw a lot of that um, – that, that... I feel more confident. The confidence interval is, is, is towards the higher end. Um, Jace Grady from Dallas Baptist came to Katuit in the second half of the Cape. And I think if he started the season with Katuit, if, if Dallas Baptist didn't make a, a deeper run in, in, into Omaha and, and he was, you know, there from, from the jump, um, his, his value, you know, amongst the industry would, would be, I'd say a, a fair bit higher. Um, Jace is, he's not the biggest guy. He's, you know, 5'10", 5'11", 175, 180. Um, but he is a true center fielder, um, has a hit tool from both sides of the plate, um, makes really good contact. Uh, one, one of the higher ex-WOBA guys that, that, that we have data on from, from the 2021 spring. Um, 
you know, good raw power that I think plays up because of how well he elevates the ball and the fact that he's going to be able to get matchups from both sides of the plate where he's going to be able to pull the ball. Um, I can remember distinctly um, sitting, sitting with a guy that, um, that worked for the A's um, we're watching Grady hit from the left side and he just hits one to a part of Bourne that when you hit it to that part, you just kind of look over and be like, oh, that's a big league home run right there. You know, or talking, you know, Bourne is not the easiest part to go out in at certain places. Down the lines, it's a bit easier because of the small fences. But when you go out to the power gaps, it it kind of perks your ears up. There's not a lot of wind helping you out there at Bourne. So Grady is I feel very confident about Grady's hit and power um, tools. The one knock might be that he was a little overly aggressive, but with the level of like high contact, like the level of hard contact that he was making, um, it's kind of similar to Brooks Lee. Brooks Lee has a, has a pretty high amount of chase, but when you're barreling up so many balls, why not be aggressive? You know, <laughs> why wait? Like, you know, if you can barrel up a, a variety of pitches across the zone, then you can you can afford to be aggressive because more often than not, your aggressiveness is going to pay off. Um, but, you know, just above average hit tool, above average game power from both sides, true center fielder. It's, it's a tool package that, to me, I think in an abstract would be a back end of the first round tool set. Ooh but we don't draft in the abstract and there's a lot of college, a lot of up the middle college guys um, in this draft class, particularly, you know, guys that were there in the first half of the season that went on to play for team USA. So you're looking at Grady, maybe as, you know, a supplemental first or an early second, if he, if he plays well in the spring, but the plus side of that is it's not kind of like, Oh, he's, Oh, you know, he should have gone earlier. It's wow. We're getting a really good value at this draft pick um, that we might not get in normal years because of how deep this class is. Um, on the pitching side, Adam Major uh, played for Wareham this year. He, his spring was at South Dakota state. And during the Cape announced, he was transferring over to Iowa for his junior year. Um, I think he was the best pitcher um, in the West for on the Cape. West wasn't, wasn't near as deep as the East. Um, on the East side, you had guys like Bryce Hubbard. You had Teddy McGraw for Brewster, who's, who's a 23. That's really exciting. Pat Riley, a 23 from Vanderbilt. That's pitching for Orleans. Um, Adam Meyer from YD, who's a guy that blew up on the Cape um, with just insane, you know, fastball slider change combo. The East was pretty stacked. The West not as it's it, getting out to where him if you're on the cape is not easy you have to go over the bridge um i live in providence so where him was great because i didn't have to go over the bridge so i saw a lot <laughs> of where him and i saw mazer a couple times he had a great cape um you know i would say probably you know top 10 percentile in terms of strikeouts walks era um and most importantly, the stuff was there. Um, we're talking low 90s, touching a four, maybe a five um, with, with his four seam, uh, good spin rates, flashing really good carry to it. Um, works in a two seamer that's a little bit, you know, kind of like more of a comfort pitch than a stuff pitch. 
but he commands both these fastballs to both sides of the plate, which is huge on the Cape. Uh, if you command a fastball to both sides of the plate, you're going to get outs. Um, and if you have a secondary to pair with it, you're going to get strikeouts. And his main secondary are his breaking balls. Um, he has a slider that, um, that sits in you know, the 24, 2500 RPM range. Um, got whiffs on that, located it well down, um, you know, and was able to get chases from hitters. Uh, also has a curveball that's a, that's a little bit lighter, but they're distinct enough that he can throw them to different hitters um, and not have them sit on one or the other, which is, which is very important for him, you know, second time through the order. And he's got feel for, for a pretty good change. But I think the most exciting thing about Major, um, delivery-wise, he's a bit tall and fall, but the frame is fantastic. It's 6'3", 180, and he's going aisle. So the first thing I always say about Major when, when I get on a Major tangent, I'm like, if you want a guy to get 15 pounds of muscle on a 6'3", 180 frame, where else would you want him to go by Iowa? Like, <laughs> I, it's, you're very confident in him adding the good kind of muscle to, to really have that fastball play up. Um, he's kind of um, sitting in you know, the mid-100s for us right now. His performance at South Dakota State, you know, he doesn't have a great track record there. But I think, you know, with a with um with work in the fall to kind of get stronger and you know a good Big Ten campaign, he's gonna start to rocket up boards. And um that that would be the the pitcher that kind of impressed me the most and and just kind of broke out in my eyes. So th- those are those are kind of the under under the radar guys and the common theme there with both of them is like I said, these are guys that really showed up and, and, and balled out after all the team USA guys left after okay. all the 21s got drafted. So you didn't have, you know, scouts, you didn't have like 15 to 20 scouts there for, for, for these guys, because there wasn't the guys that they were sent there to, to really get a look at. You know, you, you, you'd get some heat for Mazer. There was a lot of heat for Adam Meyer just because of how loud, like, his data was and, and teams being like, we got to go out and see this guy. Um, but, it, you know, that second half is, is of that Cape season, guys that played well, and particularly from smaller schools, like, you know, there are going to be some hidden gems there just because of the lack of heat that would that, – that's there relative to a normal Cape year. I want everyone uh, listening to know that this is the kind of detailed information that you can get from Will. He (laughs) writes for Prospect Live. He focuses on the draft and amateur players. And answers like this are exactly why I wanted to have him on. So it's Will, W-I-L-L-H-O-E-F-E-R on Twitter. Yeah. I do. I think this is going to be a probably an, an easier question for you, like downshifting. And I kind of want want to get more more detailed. But I'm an Orioles fan, so I'm a fan of a bad team and an organization that's finished poorly in the last couple of years. Like for as you're paying attention, and this is I'm asking for an Orioles specific reason. Okay, are they a team that has changed for the better? And if like, as far as evaluating and picking, and if they're not, who are, who are the teams that have made those changes, like in the aim of improvement? Well, 
you, you know what? You're gonna like this answer. Uh, I thought so. I, I, I've liked what the Orioles have done the draft the past couple of years. Uh, like I said, I think they've identified players that, 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 that they, that their player development can work with. Like, I, I think there's a common misconception that, you know, like you have to draft, like, like a player development department has to be good at everything. Like if you can identify something that your guys are good at and are better at than the rest of the league, going after those kind of players in the draft that you can develop better than anybody else is the way to go. Like if you can develop, you know, hitters, if you can develop big projectable hitters better than anybody else, there's not a whole lot of reason to like, be like, we have to take pitchers. No, you're going to go to the guys you can develop. And I think you've seen it in, in the draft. Like, you know, the Orioles have, have had an advantage um, that a lot of teams are, are, are going to have on a year-to-year basis. When you're bad, you have a lot of money to work with. And when you have a lot of money to work with, you can get a lot of good talent. Um, not I, that complicated. It's, that, it's not. It, it really isn't. So when, when, you, when you have that money to work with, you can, you can, you can, you can get your pick of, of, of the litter. Because you're going to be drafting at the top. You can get any guy you want there. And more importantly, if you manage your money wisely, which is what I think the Orioles have done well relative to some other teams that have this, you know, windfall, then you can really identify some preps or, or some overslot college guys, you know, later on and, and really collect a, a massive pool of talent. But like I said, I like what the Orioles have done. They've identified some, some college players that they feel they can develop. Colton Kowser's hit the ground running as a, as a really advanced hitter. Um, and I would say really advanced, even for, you know, being a top five pick, I mean, it's it's a really, really, really good hit tool that, you know, might stack up as the best hit tool in that, in that draft class where all we're said and done. Um, obviously the Mayo picks a slam dunk. Um, you know, I wasn't the highest guy on Kyle Stowers. I think there's, there is some swing in this, but you cannot argue with the fact this guy hits, hits the, the ever living, you know, <laughs> ball, like this guy, <laughs> top of the line exit velocities. Like I've watched him a good bit lately. He's a guy that like his eyes get big because he recognizes pitches. It's just going to be a matter of getting his eyes back into his head and sitting back and and more consistently barreling them instead of trying to hit them, you know, five hundred feet, which he's getting there. Doing. He can do that, but yeah. but it but it's a little, it is a little bit more hit or miss to try to hit a ball five hundred feet than you know just trying to you know take it out you know three hundred eighty to four hundred twenty feet. So like it's just like you but you can see that like he recognizes spin. Like I don't think that like there's going to be some swing in this for how long his levers are and how hard he swings, but you know a big, a big, big component is, is not chasing and being able to identify spin. And he has that, um, going up into this, um, in, into that 2020 draft, Kobe Mayo's a, a slam dunk. And we talked about that. I like what the Orioles have done. Um, but you know, um, it's still kind of, you know, uh, you have your, uh, you have your gold standards in terms of player development that are still kind of the gold standards. You know, when you think about pitching, you think about the guardians, uh, when you think about, um, you know, data driven preps, you think about the rays, 
When you think about <laughs> literally everything, you think about the Dodgers. These the are Dodgers. Teams, <laughs> you, these are teams that have not had the resources because they've been winning, but they still find a way to pull off some pretty strong draft hauls, you know, a, year, a couple of years down the line. You're like, you know, like you, you realize these guys picked in the back half and like their draft class is like the best in five years. How did this happen? So like you, it's still um, – you still have your heavyweights in that regard, um, but I do like what the Orioles are doing. And I do think it's unfortunately for, 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 for competitiveness, when you lose, you get a lot of money in the draft. And that really is the big thing. If you have the money to go out and get guys, you know, it can overcome a lot of sins in, in your development departments. Absolutely. I think what the Orioles have done recently has been really encouraging if they can, uh, hopefully start seeing some positive results at the major league level soon. That'll be a good sign for sure. And I think we're going to start winding it down with some current events. So speaking of draft today, there was the minor league portion of the rule five draft. So there are 51 names chosen in that draft. I'm going to briefly just name some of the more intriguing ones of uh, the first overall pick. The Orioles took Nolan Hoffman from the Mariners. There were a lot of people on the Twitter timeline today um, mentioning how Hoffman had really intriguing data and that this is a very Orioles pick. So that was pretty intriguing. Uh, third overall, Andy Young of the D-backs was chosen by the Nationals. He was in the Paul Goldschmidt trade. He has intriguing power. Uh, the big issue with him is strikeouts. He had a over 40% strikeout rate in 200 plate appearances last year. So you know, if he's going to be a productive player, he needs to cut down on the Ks. But, you know, if any team's going to give him playing time, it would be this Nationals rebuilding team. So maybe there's something there. Uh, going further down the list, Gabriel Machiel was chosen by the Athletics from the Twins. John Nagowski was chosen by the Braves. He saw a little bit of success last summer with the Pirates. You know, if the Braves don't re-sign Freddie Freeman, Maybe there's a chance Nagowski is a platoon bat for them. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> uh, Steven Jennings was drafted by the Yankees from the Pirates. He's an arm I've always kind of liked. Me too. Uh, yeah. And then two more intriguing picks, in my opinion. Carson Fulmer uh, was drafted by the Dodgers. And another Dodgers pick uh, that was intriguing, John Duplantier. Uh, former top prospect for the Diamondbacks. He's not lived up to the hype, but if any uh, if any team was going to fix a pitching prospect, I think it would be the Dodgers. Um, and that's about it for the minor league World 5 draft. The major league portion will not be taking place until after the lockdown, and Eric is going to briefly talk about the lockdown for us. Uh, out, I guess, I say. I guess uh, really all I want to say very quickly is that uh, it seems to me I'm, I'm older than you guys, so I've been around for different levels of labor strife and strikes, and this seems to me to be the most uh, tame and the one that worries me the least. I don't see ownership and the players as two divergent collectives who really truly want different things. I think they're kind of want the same things, so... Uh, it's just a matter of how do they or we get there and who gets paid while that's happening. 
I would suspect that there's not going to be any lost games, not even in spring training. I think once they sit down, roll up their sleeves, start negotiating, it might take a while to get there. But once it begins to end, it's going to end uh, rather quickly in late January or uh, early February. So, you know, it's the all season. You know, we, we've got the all season. And when it's get when when it's pitchers and report and catchers reporting dates will be uh, in the later stages of negotiations. I'm quite confident in saying that. So don't worry about it. Awesome. That's that's reassuring. Hopefully that is the course that it goes. I definitely would not want to lose any spring training games and uh, or regular season for that matter. And yeah, this has been a really fun and insightful discussion. Thank you so much, Will, for coming on. We're really happy to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thank you and, for having me. Absolutely. And where, if uh, our listeners want to find you on social media or read your work, what should they look up to find you? Yeah, uh, my Twitter handle is uh, W Hafer Baseball. That's W H O E F E R. And you know how to spell baseball. Uh, <laughs> um, and I, my work's on Prospects Live. Um, I recently just uh, put out a, a, a Jupiter a post, um, WWBA Live Looks post, covering um, a couple of the guys we talked about here today. Um, I think in total, like, I wrote about like, wrote something brief about 17 or 18 guys, and then had a big table of, of some high followers as well. So there's a lot of names on that post. Um, you know, I like to be as transparent as I, as I can um, about, you know, the confidence I have um, and the amount of amount of looks I get. Um, but almost everything that, you know, that I see, I felt like ended up in that post. So there's a lot of data, a lot of names in there. Highly recommend checking it out. Got Kate post up there as well. Four whole ones. Um, just search my name on the site. And, you know, my video that I take uh, ends up on our, our, on the Prospects Live YouTube channel. So check that out as well. Definitely. Yeah, I'd definitely check it out. And Eric, is there one last thing you want to say? Thank you, Will. This went exactly as I thought it would when I met you. And for everyone that's listening, get your baseball information from uh, the draft team of Prospects Live. Will is an excellent part of it. So thanks for being a part of our show. Yeah, the sure thing, Eric. Bailey, thank you for having me. Um, I hope this, this is the first of many great episodes of your podcast. Thank you so much. All right, and thank you to everyone listening. And uh, we will be back next week with another episode. So stay tuned. Thank you so much.